available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. The UCLA site on the 247 Sports Network. <laughs> and I'm already laughing, Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 247 Sports This is the POC Network. hungover edition. Way hungover. Both David and I are in the same city. We're now in the same room and we're in the same condition. So. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be a really good show. I'm very excited for the listeners. <laughs> it should be good. We had delusions of grandeur of uh, doing a lot of picks and stuff this week. That ain't happening because we're just mm-mm. we're not really in our right minds. But we are in the same city. We are in the same uh, room, and we're recording together. Uh, and if you would like to send us any kind of questions or comments or ideas for the show, you can email us pack 12 podcast at gmail.com, or if you would like to call or text us, you can leave a voicemail, you can shoot us a text over what you want to talk about, 424-532-0678 is the number. If you want to tweet at us, at Pac12Podcast. The website, of course, Pac12Podcast.com, and go to iTunes, subscribe, leave us some feedback. Uh, Five-star rating is awesome. We do appreciate that very much. David, I think, looking at his phone Seeing if we got any new reviews. Did we get something? We've we've got three new reviews. Yes. All of reviews. these five stars. Um, and they're 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 long. So here we go. All Ready? Right. Yep. All right. This is from Grumpy Oso. So that's Grumpy Bear in uh in, oh. in El Espanol. Uh college course is the subject line. I would disagree with Dave on the podcast on May 8th. We don't know. Whatever that was. Whatever that podcast was. <laughs> Might not have been the POC. Uh, the subject being college courses. There are a lot of BS courses in colleges that they require you to take to, uh, to fulfill graduation. I hated all of the elective classes and wished that I could have taken more courses that would deal with my profession or things that would help in life. I think if you decide to go to college, it should be a major that will help you in life, in your life and in your career. Something that would get you a job and pay off your loans. All right. So Grumpioso advocating for trade school. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Which I respect. I think that's fair. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Grumpy Oso. All right. This is from Anju Kandu, 811. <clears throat> Quaint little podcast is the subject line. Oh. Hosts Ryan and Dave take us on a weekly journey loosely rooted in all things Pac 12. From rankings, news, and current events, they cover it all. Inevitably, they end each show answering extremely off topic questions from listeners, discuss Disney princesses, and answer <laughs> a long winded question from one listener whose topic is poorly masked with Oregon Duck undertones. <laughs> Their knowledge of the conference is mostly not bad, but other times it is really, really just okay. All shows are entertaining, and I appreciate the time and effort they put into it. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Yes, and even uh, Hitler gets a shout out. I know, that's beautiful. All right, and this is from uh, Lambert J.H. Set your expectations to medium. (laughs) Two semi-competent people discuss a football, question mark, conference media company run by incompetent people with a taste for the finer things in life. 
I, those are those are good. I think those uh, are lovely. I loved them all. There, I would put them all on my tombstone. Like, oh yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I think that uh, <laughs> two semi competent people that should be uh, a joint tombstone for us. <laughs> nice. What was it? Well, I forget that it was like set your expectations to set your expectations to medium. <laughs> is, is I think if I like ever wrote a biography, I think that would be what it was. <laughs> I like that. Well, thank you. So, I mean, we really do appreciate the. Uh, Reviews. It's great when you tell your friends that the, that listen and you know get through the off season talking Pac-12 stuff. It's cool and and they all have five stars, which is great. Five stars is the most important thing. As I said last week, it can be negative, it can be awful. You can say really rude and hateful things about us as long as you put that five stars. Yeah, right? that helps. That's the one that counts. You know, if we learn nothing in life, it's that we are all a number. Right. We are all just the metrics associated with us. Nobody's reading the words. They are just looking at that number. We want that five next to our yeah, name. We like it. Like your Uber driver. You want that five star. Exactly. Awesome. Uh, well, cool. Thanks again for uh, leaving those. Uh, we got a few topics uh, to get to. Thanks. Uh, shout out to our intern, Micah. He's, gonna... he's the glue that's holding this thing together right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we can kind of go through and, and pick some. Anything? Catch your eye, Dave. We were just gonna well, go. I want I want something that's not on this list. Okay, I gotta talk about something first. Oh yes, okay, okay. So I know we get a, a little a little bit of a criticism sometimes, a little bit for being a little LA centric. And yeah. you know, it's just the nature of the business, right? We you know we we both cover the LA schools. We try to branch out. We try to be more you know ecumenical. I don't know. Maybe that's a word. Who knows? But sure, Ryan. Um, I gotta talk about the latest uh, escapades with the USC Trojan yeah program because um. Brew, Horace, Brew, McCoy. Mm -hmm. Heard of him. Um, Five-star receiver, probably a better linebacker, honestly, but he wants to play receiver, so who's going to fight him? Um, He initially committed and signed with USC. He did. Um, And then in January, decided, you know what? This isn't for me. I'm not enjoying these winter workouts or whatever was going on. (laughs) Um, Cliff Kingsbury said, nah, I'm going to the Cardinals and you can't come with me because we've got some weird labor restrictions on going to the NFL early out of high school. And so Horace Brew McCoy then decided to uh, get out of a situation at USC, even acknowledging that he might very well have to sit out his first year in college. Yes. Transferred to Texas. Now it's May. Right. So he went, he went through spring football. Yep. With his, with his team. Four months later. Mm -hmm. Um, and now he wants to transfer out of Texas and where? Back to USC. Yeah. Uh, I would say to the rest of the Pac-12, we'll talk about you more if you do stupid things like the LA schools. If do. a lot of really <laughs> dumb things happen to your school that are just like pure, like a soap opera where it doesn't even make sense. Like where the plot's like, oh, wait, no, this is unbelievable even for a ridiculous soap opera that's trying to heighten drama. Like this isn't even good narrative. Like what's the... Why, Ryan? Yeah. Why? It's just so bizarre. I think we're going to see they have to tweak the NCAA transfer portal because there's we're already seeing some of the weirdest stuff. Like what when is someone I think Seth Collins from Oregon State said he was going to transfer out. I think it was like in January or something. He's still in school. I feel like this was he a few trans- couple years oh, okay, ago. This okay, was, so okay. and then I think it was going to go to like Northern Illinois or something. It was something like that. But then in the and this was with Gary Anderson was the head coach. Then he decided to come back, and uh, so he was going to transfer out and didn't. And then I think he ended up transferring to Texas Tech or something right. a- after that. But to go enroll in one place and start school there for a couple of weeks and like 
peace out. I'm going to Texas. Go through spring football. You roll there now. You go through spring yeah. football. I think he was doing pretty well from what I heard. I didn't like really follow all that closely. And now you're like, yeah, I don't think this is for me. I'm going to move back to, to L.A. That's not nothing official yet. He's not listed in the transfer portal yet, but we expect that to happen sometime this week. I expect him to end up at, at USC. So I don't know. This is it's very a, strange. It's a real. So I think if you're running like a program where you want like program discipline and accountability and all that stuff, you got to say like, nah, like no thanks. Clearly, that's not USC and never has been. But <laughs> oh. like I, I at that point, because you've got to I mean, not to impugn a 18 year old, whatever. There's varying levels of maturity. Often guys are not, you know, hitting their full maturity until whatever. They're 47. I'm 48, 48. Yeah. Um, yeah sometimes yeah, guys aren't still, doing it until deep into their fifties. Right. Right. Um, so <laughs> maybe it shouldn't be hung over on, you know, a Memorial day weekend, but uh, you know, whatever, that's whatever, 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 water under the bridge. But, um, if you're like a coach and you know, part of your job is like managing your program, I would have real concerns about a guy who does that. Like you would just have to right? And, um, obviously Clay Helton's in probably a desperate situation and I don't think he's a he's an he's not an accountability taskmaster under the best of circumstances even early on in his tenure there I guess this is still technically early on in his tenure at USC yeah like, full it'll be year four like the full yeah year four <laughs> yeah um, but he did a half you know year before that but yeah but yeah ridiculous just ridiculous I yeah I don't think they're in a position to turn away uh, the basic, the guy that was your best recruit that you already signed. Um, I, you know, was, there's a sort of a double jeopardy thing going on here too, because uh, like there was the Chris Steele stuff where he's, you know, transferring to Oregon uh, from Florida. So he had, you know, gone to Florida, it was committed to USC, went to Florida, transferred, and, you know, he announced he was going to go to uh, Oregon. Is he uh, still looking around too? I think, yeah. I think there's still some potential yeah. that that doesn't, happen but I, I mean i'm not even like i'm like more day weekend guys i just want to have some fun you know <laughs> i just want to get drunk i don't want this weird stuff breaking on my my weekend but you know so you have something like that um happening you if usc was trying to get chris Steele in from what we had heard they're out of initial counters they don't have any more spots to bring in new people in this class they're they're still under the 85 limit but their initial counters that you get 25 and they counted some back from the previous year, they didn't have room for a brew McCoy. He was already an initial counter. So I, I don't know the, but my understanding is he can't be an initial counter again. Like he already counted for this class once. Like he took a spot. If he transfers back in, it's just, I would assume it's, you're taking your old spot. Is that like a time travel thing? Like there can't be two of them in one place <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. Or there's like double jeopardy. Like, like you it'll, can't be it'll cause a, it'll cause a paradox. Yeah. <laughs> like, the universe implodes. <laughs> it's the butterfly effect. You don't want yeah. to like step on a roach and then, you know, the dinosaurs never happen. Whatever it is, you know, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's weird scholarship math going on. There's, I think you're going to test like the limits of rules of what's going on. Here. I, I, and I feel like they're going to have to make some kind of tweaks to the transfer portal because there's just some weird stuff happening. Like this is like, you're, I mean, you've transferred twice and you haven't played a football game yet. Like, it's, I mean, that's weird. Like, isn't that weird? That seems weird. I mean, it's dumber than hell, but I love it. Like, I hope this <laughs> continues. I hope it gets even worse. Like, I hope there are like dozens of guys doing this every year because it's a great way of weeding out kind of the, the ones who are a little bit of head case, you know, yeah. like a little bit of, oh, okay. My expectations, like Brew McCoy coming out of high school, my expectations for Brew McCoy now as like 
not even a college freshman really are so much lower now. <laughs> like I'm like, oh man, this guy might quit football in two years. I have no idea because like it's such a it's such a mark against somebody to just be doing this sort of thing. And it's just interesting. And I'm very looking forward to his career now. And then would he be considered a transfer that would have to sit, sit out. out since he already enrolled it and started at USC? Like, I don't know. I don't know what this, what's going the on. The logic is, I mean, it, it truly is like it's a pretzel. Like, yeah. how is the NCAA going to figure this one out? And even for us at 24-7 Sports, so... If you so we if you check the site, we have our own version of the transfer portal. So we have people that the transfer portal basically. If you're a college coach, you have access to this. Um, it's basically a database of all these players that are tending to do whatever. So if if David's you know I'm Joe College whatever, and David's my star quarterback, and he as wants I would to, be, and he wants to transfer out, he would have to go to our compliance department and then say, hey, there's my attention to do that. And they have, I think, like two days to put them in the portal. Sometimes they put it right away, whatever. But they, the colleges have access to this. Some of our reporters have access to it as well. And so we can basically mimic what you see in the transfer portal. Well, Brew McCoy's situation was so weird because he was in USC's recruiting class, signed with USC, but transferred like two weeks later. It was a very unique situation. We can't list him in the transfer portal because they wanted to change him from... USC's recruiting class to Texas's because right. he hadn't done anything yet. Now there would be, I don't know. Now I guess he would be in the transfer portal because he would, but he wouldn't be, I think he wouldn't be part of USC's recruiting class because he already went through spring football at Texas. But I don't know. There's all this weird kind of rules and stuff and, and just, just nuance of the, how you would manipulate your database because like, well, why you don't usually have someone transferring twice in the first four months of their college career. It's truly beautiful. Yeah. All right, so we got a little bit more to discuss. Um, interesting note, very kind of scary but cool note um, for you know obviously heroism reasons. But um, former Oregon receiver Keenan Lowe, who's now um, kind of a, a coach at a high school, um, Parkrose High School. Last week, I think at the beginning of last week, I think it might have been or last weekend, um, he disarmed a student who brought a shotgun to school. Wow, um, you know before anything had happened, which is good. Um, but that's, you know, that's a good, that's pretty crazy. That's a pretty wild thing. Um, but you know, he was there and able to do it. And a lot of the stuff that was written afterwards was like very like, yeah, if, if there was a guy who was going to do stuff like that, it was going to be keen and low. Um, so it was, <laughs> you know, that's, that's neat to, I mean, not neat. I mean, it's a horrible epidemic, but, um, you know, neat that he was there to, that he, yeah, he was able to do, yeah. you know, be a real hero. And I think it's funny when, if you remember, do you ever see the movie, uh, was it Flight 93, like the one where they... Yeah, you know, the, United they attacked, 93. United 93. And they... um, And I forget the, like, the rugby guy or something, but they're yeah. like, yeah, he that's what he would do. He would yeah. go kick it that was guy's the, ass. It was, was it a Cal rugby player? I think it was, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Pac-12, there you go. I think it was, yeah. Uh, but you kind of know, like, yeah, I could see him doing that. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know... He would be the guy that rushes a dude with a shotgun and disarms him and stuff, yeah. you know. Yeah, so that's cool. Um. USC, uh, more USC stuff. So this is interesting. I saw this and I thought it was kind of a uh, off note thing, but USC could begin to face FCS opponents. Uh, but USC and Notre Dame and UCLA are the three schools that um, have uh, never right. scheduled FCS schools. But Steve Lopez, um, Steve Lopes, yeah. Did he put Lopez in there? It's Lopes. I no. mean, it, it, he didn't. He didn't like do the acento or anything. <laughs> but like, I see L O P E S, like. Whatever. Anyway, Steve Lopes. 
Apparently he lopes around. I don't know. Uh, whoever sees the Trojan scheduling said, uh, what's the best way to get to the college football playoff? Um, which is a really bold thing to say for a team that went five and seven last year. Yeah, it's just that. OK, so it was an article in The Athletic where Steve Lopes is basically number two in the USC athletic department behind Lin Swan. But because Lin Swan's more of a celebrity AD, he's like the de facto kind of AD, mm-hmm. like doing like work. Um, but yeah, are you, saying, are you saying traveling to Virginia to sign autographs isn't work? <laughs> it's work. Um, it's a different kind of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But. So the the article, I mean, it was kind of interesting what he's saying. My thought was they've sort of waited a long time to schedule. Their, their worst scheduling issue coming up is uh, uh, for 2021, USC only has two games scheduled. Like, they, you know, they have Notre Dame every year. Uh, and I forget, it might be BYU at home, uh, but they need another home game. And there was only a couple teams available. I think UNLV's won. Uh, Northwestern, but you're not going to get them to just come to the Coliseum for one game. And I think like middle Tennessee, there's just really limited options. And the way USC schedule is you have PAC 12. So every PAC 12 team has five home games one year for the next. And then USC offsets that with Notre Dame. So it's like five and five. So you only have two games every year you can schedule. And USC is saying now they want those games to be home games. So they want seven home games a year, which means you can never schedule another home and home with Texas or things like that. So it's very kind of strange, but your logic saying this is how you want to do to try to make the playoff. If if you, everything else you were doing was a push to try to make the playoff, that would make sense. But your hiring practices, the way you've run things, yeah. it's certainly not been a focus on we're trying to make the college football playoff. Well, and knowing LA fans and not necessarily USC fans, but I think it is kind of the same thing. And I think both, UCLA and USC fan bases have gotten used to a certain type of scheduling. I would think there'd be a lot of convincing, especially for the older fans who are used oh. to getting big time opponents in the Coliseum or big time road games that they can go and do the fan travel thing for or whatever. Uh, it'd take a lot of convincing them to do like a San Diego state and then FCS, whatever Eastern Washington every year. Yeah. Um, that I don't, I don't think that would fly. No, uh, they, you know, it's tough the way the schedule is with the nine game schedule, but for you to want to do seven home games, it takes away one of the cooler aspects of being a, a fan because you do love, you live for those, you know, UCLA scheduled a whole bunch of really cool games coming up. A lot of the PAC 12 has done that yeah. Colorado, you know, scheduling a whole bunch of good ones. When we did the uh, covered the USC Texas game last year in Austin, I had an event like a live event there and you know, we get, hundred people for an event or so we get some decent numbers. We had like over 250 people for that thing in Austin. Everyone's there and they need things to do. So many fans went and traveled to that game because that's like, Hey, I get to go see USC play Texas and stuff. And you know, to not have that anymore would be, I think a real disappointment for fans. Well, and how often is it? I mean, I'm trying to think back, like how often is it that a PAC 12 team because of the nine game schedule, because of the like generally consistently decent scheduling from the top tier teams in the PAC 12 how often is it that a single loss in one of those games is what's preventing them from making the playoff or yeah. making the BCS? I don't see that. It's usually like well, that team just wasn't they weren't as they weren't as good as they needed to be. Right. Um, yeah. Like the one I can think about, maybe you could make an argument Stanford 2015 when they sure. lost to Northwestern on the road. Like you don't schedule that game. You don't have that road game at Northwestern. Maybe that team is a playoff team then. Yeah. Um, but. Beyond that, I'm having a hard time even thinking about one. I mean, it's been a lot of Washington where they've been about as, 
I mean, they, they've been about, I mean, that one playoff team and they didn't, you know, trip up. Um, yeah. But I don't, I just don't see it. And USC in particular, like it's been so long since they've been that elite level. Um, you know, that whatever that was, that ten, nine and three, 10 and two year, whatever it was that Darnold won the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Like they started so slow and that was not, that was not the schedule. Right. I mean, it was, I mean, well, they, they played lost Alabama, Alabama. but. <laughs> But like you lose to Alabama, um, but if you'd been playing Darnold from the beginning, you might have only lost Alabama. Yeah. Um, so it's just yeah, like the next year when they won the Pac-12, they had two losses, um, and they were in the discussion for the they were in the top eight or something for the college right. football playoff. But it really wasn't like it wasn't legit. Like the, no. Alabama was going to make it in, but there was at least. But that wasn't the schedule either. That was you lost two games. Like if they'd have lost one game, they yeah. very well could have been it. You know that they scheduled they. A lot of the, you know, Washington, we've seen, we've seen these teams schedule good teams. If you beat them, it's fine, you know? And I, I think it's more about they want to get the extra revenue. They want seven home games a year. That hasn't been like a requirement before, but. No. Um, whatever. So we'll see. But yeah, there's only three teams left that haven't scheduled an FCS program. Two of them, the other two happen to be USC's rivals. So that would be, that. that's what makes, I think, USC fans the most upset. because Yeah, like, I can't imagine that passing. I mean, if he's floating this, that's fine, but I can't imagine it's going to pass. I think a lot of boosters will get upset. They'll be, they'll be upset about that. Yep. Um, Colorado is getting down. I think they might be down to their 85 now. Um, they uh, Dante Wigley, one of their one of their most experienced corners, um, has announced that he won't return to the program. Um, he's the fifth departure um, since spring pra- practices concluded, um, oh. but that does put them down to 85 now. So they're um, okay um, on scholarships. I, part of this is obviously new coach attrition um, where he's trying to, you know, maybe weed some guys out. I don't know if Wiggly counts among them, but um, they they'll only have six guys on six cornerbacks on scholarship this year, only four who have played. So. You know, something to watch. I don't think anyone's expecting a whole lot from Colorado this year in Mel Tucker's first year. Anything I think above, anything above four or five wins, I think is going to yeah. get people super pumped. Um, so, uh, yeah. I mean, if you're gonna, you know, you know, change the culture a little bit and and get some guys out of there or whatever, I think this is the year to do it. Obviously, yeah. That's, you expect that when you have some coaching turnover and stuff. And yeah, and um, I don't even know if Wigley's that. It might just be that he wants to go find another opportunity somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, what else we got in here that's interesting? Um, um, we got, maybe we should have read this beforehand, but. Uh, <laughs> we're really, really, really good at this. Um, no. Athlon released its all-conference team for the Pac-12. Uh, quarterbacks, um, their order is Herbert, Costello, Huntley, then Tate. Um, I think that's probably fair. Yeah, I and I think each of those four has an opportunity to be the number one, and nobody would be too shocked. I think their um, running back situation is completely screwed up. They went Eno Benjamin, which I think is right. Jamar Jefferson, number two, which is fine. Oh, wait, they have two running backs. Oh, they're doing it the real way that it's like they're doing the like screwed up, like the way the Pac 12 does their. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Anyway, so they've got eight running backs listed in the first and second and third and fourth teams. So eight yeah. starting running backs. So. There are a lot of good running backs in the Pac-12. Um, it's Eno Benjamin, number one. Uh, Eno Benjamin and Zach Moss are both first team, which is right. Uh, Jamar Jefferson and Joshua Kelly are both second team, which feels good. Uh, Salvan Ahmed and uh, CJ Verdell, third team. And this is where you could probably start to get a little bit. Um, you, you could start to question this a little bit because Ahmed's, you know, obviously been a second string guy. 
you know, I think he's good. Um, I don't know if he's third string yet. Uh, Stephen Carr's fourth, um, and Travis Dye is also fourth. So two Oregon backs in the uh, in the third and fourth teams. Um, anything else stand out to you here? Let's see. Oh, the uh, the Senate Bill two hundred six, which would allow collegiate athletes at pu- public and private universities throughout the state to be compensated for their use of their name, image. And likeness. Uh, it said the bill doesn't allow schools to compensate athletes directly. Um, it so would, maybe EA Sports comes out with a new NCAA game that only includes the Pac-12. I love it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it, this seems to be pushing, coming to a head a little bit where like the whole likeness thing, I know it would be ripe for, um, you know, corruption and stuff, but it, it's sort of like, dude, that's you. Like, I, I don't. You should know. be able to profit off of anything that's from your own person. Yeah, from day one. I mean, you have like, like child the, actors. Like, you should be able to do whatever. Like, uh, yeah, mean, you should be able to get sponsorships. You should be able to do all that stuff. Yeah, if you get a whole bunch of Instagram followers and yeah, you, you can you know be an influencer influencer and and get some, you know some compensation for that. Like, I don't see why you should be able to do that. You know. Yeah, and and it. it if it's at the individual level, it's a it's a commentary on how good you are. It's a commentary on how marketable you are. It's a commentary on all that stuff. So, I I don't think the schools should have any concerns about like the fairness of doling that money out evenly to all the different players on the different teams. Like I'm sure you can construct some sort of law as this one is, but um, some sort of thing where it's not affecting anything with Title Nine or anything like that, where it's just you know each person gets whatever they can get on the open market essentially um and you could probably see some gymnasts and other sports you know get some sort of endorsement deal from different you know companies of of various sorts so no i i think this should go forward and hopefully set a standard for the rest of the country one of the quotes is the california senate has spoken loud and clear student athletes should enjoy the same right as all other students to earn income from their talent uh this the bill 206 gives our college athletes the same financial opportunity afforded to olympic athletes and there i mean there's definitely been situations where guys like or or guys girls whatever like they would be some kind of talent they were good like as a blog or whatever on instagram and or wherever it was and you're like oh you can't you can't run your little small business anymore because you're a student athlete, which it, it, right. you know, it doesn't make sense, you know? No, it makes no sense. So, um, yeah, I think this is fair. And I think, honestly, like, I, I go obviously even more extreme than this, but this feels like a middle ground solution that it's hard to make an argument against it, I think. Um, it, it relies on your just falling back on, oh, no, but they're amateurs and they shouldn't make money because they're amateurs. And it's just this weird circular thing. Well, what does that even mean? Right. Like, they should... <laughs> If if I can make money at 18, you know, whatever, doing Instagram modeling as, you know, obviously I can or could have if I decided to. You still like I could, could, I think. I think I could make a lot of money uh, Instagram modeling as like just an independent person. Why can't an athlete do something very similar, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's uh, it's been a long time coming and it should immediately become uh, the law of the land. So stay tuned for that. Uh, you know, hopefully. Uh, you know, Terry Donahue, he's being treated for cancer. So hopefully he's coming through. Okay. But he's, mm-hmm. uh, he's gotten chemo and I've seen a lot of, um, tweets about Terry Donahue and like you realize how, what his programs were like compared to the rest of UCLA, you know, football since then, like 
How many Rose Bowls? I forget what it was. It was like he won or went to four Rose he Bowls. Went to, he went to some and won some, yeah. which hasn't happened since. <laughs> and yeah, like outside of him, there's been like one or something. Like it's really not yeah. been, it's like the, the amount of success he had at UCLA. You're like, wow, that's pretty impressive, you know? Yeah. And, you know, he's obviously, there's been some, I've voiced some of it myself, criticism for like the long, long tenure and, you know, not maybe quite reaching expectations, but I think most UCLA fans would give their left arm for those 20 years to have translated to the last 20 years instead. Yeah. Uh, so wishing him well. And we actually didn't mention this at the top of the show. It is, uh, we're recording on Memorial day or, uh, so happy Memorial day, everyone. Thanks to, you know, it's a, I've seen your know, social media can be a pain in the butt sometimes, but I saw some pretty cool tributes and stuff. So it's really neat to, to those that made the ultimate sacrifice to, to allow us to do podcasts like this, to, you know, live our everyday lives. So we, you know, uh, it's a great day to, to, you know, put some thought in those people that gave that sacrifice. And I, there's some cool stuff out there. I don't know if you've seen it, Dave, but pretty cool. Yeah. It's social media stuff. You know? Social media. It's it great. Can be good on it's great, certain days. Great, great to share stuff on social media. Yeah. Some days it's crappy, but you know, they like today. Many days it's crappy. Yeah. I mean, even part of today would be crappy, but there was some cool stuff out there today. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to point um, out? Uh, former Nick- Arizona center Nathan Eldridge is transferring inside the conference to Oregon State, so he's eligible immediately um, because they took away that uh, that rule. Right. So he's a grad transfer, I believe, and uh, coming in there. So some offensive line help for Jonathan Smith up there in Corvallis. Yeah. Um, wait. Utah's paying Andy Ludwig two point five million a year. What the? F- I really didn't even. Wow. What? Utah, what are you doing? <laughs> David what? doesn't like when big money gets thrown around. What are you doing? Well, <laughs> all right. So this goes back to our long-standing thing. If Utah can pay two point five million for an altogether like, I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. An altogether like average coordinator. There's no money issues. <laughs> Apparently, not. come on, man. If you're throwing money around like a drunken sailor on leave, like no, there's no money problems. Does every Utah offensive coordinator get a one year contract? Like they're all it's <laughs> one years. I think one two point five million dollars. Wow. Oh boy. All right. Uh, no, nothing else is interesting to me. Um. We'll we'll do our picks for so I know Boyd and San Ramon we were gonna like go through each week and look at schedules. Well, I think what we'll just do is we'll go through and do all our picks uh, next week. Um, so if you want, you know, if it, you want a lighter load on the questions this week, that's fine. We'll or, you know if you have any specific thoughts on picks certain games during the season, what you think, uh, you know, which direction you should go. You want to put give us some info on that. But I think we'll we'll try to do a sit down and. Uh, and do all our picks, and we might even be able to do it in person again, but we'll see. But uh, yeah, well, it'll depend on my schedule next Monday um, or Sunday. We might be able to do Sunday. Okay, um, but yeah, it'd be great to get in person again because otherwise it'll have to be till you know we'd have to wait till like probably Wednesday or Thursday. Okay, uh, so we'll do that. Uh, but yeah, I think that's all the kind of topics of the day. Should we jump into some questions? For sure. All right, where do we start? I think it was Rusty. Is that Rusty? Uh, let's see. There was Bernie. Yeah, I think Rusty. We didn't do this, right? No, we didn't do uh, 
No shame in self-hydration. All right. This is from our man, Rusty Fence, uh, an obvious pseudonym. Obvious. Sort of like a Hitler Day Almond uh, situation with the pseudonyms. Mm. <clears throat> Just pointing that out again. Uh, <laughs> subject line, no shame in self-hydration. Howdy, boys. Uh, during games, I often see players standing on the sidelines, hands on their hips. All right, I'm going to stop doing it. Mouths open <laughs> while some minion squirts water or Gatorade into their mouths. What's going on here? I have three hypotheses. First, I have a hard time believing that there are principles of science or sports physiology behind this practice. After all, these are big strapping fellers, and self-hydration cannot possibly sap that much energy. Or can it? Alternately, perhaps the coaches don't want the players handling each other's water bottles to minimize the spread of infectious diseases such as the flu or colds. My second theory is that this practice is something that various fields of science refer to as an artifact. In other words, it is something that is just developed on its own with no discernible ideology or reason. My, so, okay, obviously he's Heath Day. <laughs> like, obviously, right? Yeah. He just used the word etiology. <laughs> anyway, um, my final theory is that this practice is encouraged because it strokes the egos of both the players and their water punks and thereby contributes to the team's esprit de corps. Yeah, okay, hi, Heath Day. Um Player bragging to teammate, hey, dude, I am so good that I have my own personal punk to water me. Water punk bragging to another water punk, hey, dude, all the players want me as their hydration punk. Hell, I am so good that Jake Browning asked me to squirt Gatorade into his mouth during the Rose Bowl. He spit it out, though, wouldn't swallow. I can never forgive him for that. Seriously, boys, what is going on here? If you have a chance, maybe you can ask some real-world coaches or trainers about this. By the way, when you boys are together, do you self-hydrate, or instead do you take turns squirting each other? Just wondering, <laughs> your pal on the range, Rusty. Well, Rusty, when I got here, uh, Ryan offered me a, um, you offered me a Gatorade. Yes. I don't know. I didn't take him up on the offer, so I don't know if he then would have decided to squirt it into my open mouth like a mother babe feeding a baby, you know, <laughs> bird. But I offered you a beer as well. You did offer me a beer, a, a little hair of the dog. Yeah. Um, I, I couldn't do it, but no. I, would, I had I, like hair of the dog like three days in a row. I can't do that again. No, no, no. Sometimes it helps. But I, I'm I'm over that right now. Yeah, can't do it. Can't do it. Um, I believe this is for um, so you don't get caught, like you don't want all the players handling those bottles. You want someone squirting them into their mouth, and they're not going to put their mouths on it. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's an infectious disease thing. Yes, that's um, that's my understanding. I haven't specifically asked anyone recently about that, but that's that's what I thought uh, was going on there. Um, usually have those trainers. I think they even wear gloves and stuff sometimes when they're handling yeah. everything and uh you know you see it it's not just in games you see it on the practice field as well so it's not it's not like they're trying to conserve energy or anything during a game like this is just a practice that you have these the, the trainers will walk around with six pack of, of water bottles and they'll squirt sometimes they'll pass it around and guys know to kind of squirt but for the most part it's being squirted in their mouths yeah <laughs> it's a lot of like squirting in their mouths that we had to say right there and without I laughing you. um yeah. Nice. So I think it's just that. Uh, thanks, Rusty slash Hithliday. Um, Obviously Hithliday, right? So let's get everyone's thoughts on this. All right. Um, we need a vote out there. Um, is Rusty Fence Hithliday Almond? Yeah. I'm kind of on Dave's. And even though he's been called out and then he seemed more Hithliday-y after being called out. So he's yeah. not he's not even like trying to hide it, I think. Um, all right. I think I'm on, I'm, I'm on the Dave train with this one, too. So we have a request uh, from our man, Bernie. Hi, guys. I was wondering, instead of asking a question, if you would permit me to make a request instead. 
The request is, you assume the role of your coach at your given schools when asked the following question by your athletic director. Okay, so we're going to do a little role-playing here, David. Okay. Okay, so for me, for Ryan, immediately following the loss to UCLA at the Rose Bowl last year, Swan asked Helton, what the hell was that? Um, okay, so I have to be, so I'm going to be Clay Helton, and Lynn Swan goes, what the hell was that? Duh. <laughs> Wait, what was that mean? <laughs> what was the score of that one? I forget what was the score. Uh, let me. Pull I don't remember. Up. It was relatively close, wasn't it? I think so. Um, it was tw- uh, thirty-four twenty-seven. Um, yeah. So, do you remember that photo? Real quick, do you remember that photo of um, him and Darnold sitting next to each other, like right after the Utah game? I think that Utah lost that year, uh-huh. and they both were just like, like yeah. gate mouth, just. People use that as their avatar, like the the not the Darnold one, but the Clay Helton one. Like yeah. he's that that people use that all the time. It's so good. Um okay. Well, okay. Well, Lynn, uh I thought we did a pretty good job against Wilton Spate. Uh only had, you know, 166 yards passing. Obviously, we needed to uh do a better job containing uh that that number twenty seven kid. He was uh he was pretty good, Joshua Kelly. Um you know, I thought the offense, you know, got things rolling pretty well. We just couldn't keep up with them. Uh, it was a close game. You know, another that's our our fourth loss by uh, seven points or less. So uh, we were right there. You know, I know it's not a great way to end the season, but we I think we were right there. I'm, I'm really excited going into the off season. How's that? Is that it's beautiful? Does that sound reasonable? It was beautiful. Okay, uh, for Dave, after last year's recruiting effort, Guerrero asked Kelly, "What were you thinking?" That's from Bernie. Well, Dan, um, <laughs> I was I was looking to see if I could disrupt the recruiting uh, model by um, not recruiting, <laughs> and I learned in that process that you can't not recruit when you're attempting to recruit. <laughs> and so, going forward, I'm going to try to recruit more. Um, you know, you learn. I've been a college coach many times. I've been a college coach as a coordinator and then as a as a head coach. And, um, you know, in those six years, I recruited some. And then I was coming back to college and I was like, what if instead of recruiting some, I recruited none? <laughs> and, um, you know, you try new things. You, you see if they work out. They don't. And then you just move on, right? That's what any great innovator does. And so I tried to innovate here. And uh, and and so now I'm going to try to recruit some again. Uh, right? Yeah, I think that's that's probably right on. <laughs> <laughs> recruit some. To be fair, his last couple of jobs he recruited none. That's true. That's true. So it's sort of like a and also over. and also really didn't um, like re-recruit guys who were on his teams and like make them feel really good about like being on his teams. <laughs> like the the. The positive feedback you hear from those Eagles players is just otherworldly. Um, so yeah, you know, just gotta gotta recruit a little. Yeah, right. Recruit some. I think that's yeah, important. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, don't recruit none. Yeah, recruit some. Recruit some. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Thanks, All right. Bernie. All right. This is uh, Paul from Utah. Transfer portal. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I wrote in to criticize Ryan's work ethic. My bad. Luckily, it was during the goofy audio overlap episode. 
I sometimes make up your mix up your names. To me, Ryan sounds like a hipster name, while Dave sounds like an old man name, so you can understand my confusion. <laughs> to be clear, my intent was to denounce Dave's parasitical, freeloading, Atlanta beach bum living lifestyle. Atlanta beach bum. Interesting. Yeah. Guy from Germany, I'm proud to be a Ryan. Keep up the good work, my friend. I mainly listen to Dave for the same reason I would go to a 1900s circus, The Bearded Lady. <laughs> wow. Man, anyway, Utah has lost. Anyway. Anyway. Wow. What a what a transition there, Paul, After from Utah. After buttering you up. Here yeah. Boy, howdy. All right. Anyway, Utah has lost quite a few players due to transfers. However, they have also acquired some very good player, very good talent via the transfer portal, including a highly touted grad transfer linebacker from Penn State. Manny Bowen, and Washington State offensive lineman Noah Myers. Utah has now brought in Mike Juarez from UCLA. Dave, tell me more about this kid. What impact do you expect him to have in Utah? Love the podcast, Paul from Utah. Did I miss that? I didn't realize he transferred. Was yeah, that recent? So um, UCLA is being a little bit more stringent with its concussion policy than other schools are choosing to be right now. Um, and so certain guys are essentially getting medically retired at UCLA who can then get cleared elsewhere it's not great um i don't know on which end it's not great but it's a little bit of inequity like uh, maybe ucla is being too stringent or maybe other schools aren't being stringent enough hard to know i'm not a doctor nonetheless mike is moving on to utah he hasn't played um he didn't play at all last year i think he played a little bit the previous year um He's had a lot of issues since coming to school um he more or less had to sit out his entire first year dealing with basically some personal stuff going on um and then has just been kind of he ballooned up weight wise um that year and had to spend some time getting back down to weight and you know I've, I've heard good things about like work ethic stuff like he was able to I mean he he got up to like he looked like a d tackle at one point wow okay um but then he got back down to pretty good playing shape actually um last spring and fall by all accounts he looked you know, more like the Mike we all saw in high school. Um, and then I think he got another concussion going into last year and then was out the rest of the year. Um, now, uh, if he's good to go, um, I thought, you know, I thought he showed flashes. Um, and I, I don't know if I'd expect him to ever live up to that five-star hype he had, a, had out of high school. But if he's healthy, if he's good to go, I mean, he could contribute. Um, I think he's a guy you could probably, anything you get out of him is is pure bonus um at this point because i don't think i mean i think it's just uh you know even the fact that he's still playing is a is a good thing for him um but no i mean he's got a lot of talent i mean we we, actually that's what the the origination of this show was watching mike juarez practice at um at redondo union um right down the street from here yeah yeah and he uh you know he's got a ton of talent um in high school he was a good running back um was a really athletic linebacker was always big and was always going to probably get bigger um and but a really good athlete. I mean, he played some Wildcat quarterback um yeah. at that time too. Um a lot of comparisons to Miles Jack. I never never quite saw that in him. Um but always kind of a a, a really athletic guy and uh you know, wish the best for him. Um really nice kid. Every, really nice kid, every yeah. time I talk to him, really nice kid. Um so Hopefully it works out for him there, um, and I think he's I think he's matured quite a bit. I mean, I, I think you know he had a lot of stuff going on in his life, and I think it helped him mature quite a bit. Um, so hopefully he'll be a good addition to Utah. I really hope the best for him. 
I think it was tough. Seeing the transition was a little bit tough. And what he would he play for North, like North Torrance High, or it was just I forget what it was. It was one of the was it? it was or it Torrance was, High. It was one of the schools that El Segundo, my uh, my alma mater, is always playing. So. Okay, but like not a great football school. No, no, he was like the biggest, strongest, fastest kid on the team by a mile. Right. It wasn't even playing, you could, playing with a bunch of like five nine dudes. Yeah. yeah. So you'd go to see that. So that's that's a pretty big. Sometimes players do fine doing that, and other times it's difficult, you know. And maybe my, Utah will be a better fit. We'll see. Yeah, my takeaway from him, even if he had not all the personal issues, I thought it was going to be a a little bit of a transition for him because he didn't play good competition in high school. So even you know you're projecting him, you're like, oh, really big, strong athlete. He's going to do well, but learning the speed of the game when you're playing against guys who are as athletic as you as good as you yeah um, I always thought that was gonna be a transition regardless and then he also had other stuff on top of that so hopefully he's in that place now and can do that I think he's got to have at least a couple years of eligibility left depending on think. how they calculate all the stuff so I, I really hope the best for him I, I and you know Utah might be a great fit um I don't think there's a better defensive coach in the Pac-12 to you know learn under than Kyle Whittingham so hopefully yeah and like I said, great kid. So you wish him the best. We'll follow. It. When did that? When was that announced? Was this a while ago? Or uh, it... He put it out on Twitter. I think a week or two ago. Okay, so it's been long. somewhat recently. Okay, yeah. um, we have a uh, question about division realignment. Uh, this is from our, our buddy John in Brea, dear Ryan and Dave. Since it's the off season, it's time for my annual re- request that the Pac-12 realigns its divisions. I have to believe that the only reason Colorado and Utah are in the South Division. Is because in order to entice these teams into the league, Champagne Larry. The truth is, we all know Champagne Larry likes to roll large, right? Like, <laughs> uh, Champagne Larry promised them they would play a game in Los Angeles every year. As talk of USC scheduling an FCS opponent out of the necess- uh, out of the ne- out of necessity heats up. Sorry about that. Talk of USC scheduling an FCS opponent out of necessity heats up. A common excuse. Brought up is the preservation of the, quote, weekender to the Bay Area or that USC and Stanford play Notre Dame midseason. Both of these issues can easily be remedied by putting Stanford and Cal in the South Division where they belong. USC, UCLA, Stanford and Cal would all play each other every year as part of the South Division. USC and Stanford could alternate their games with each other based on when each plays Notre Dame. Then all three pairs in each division rotate to miss each other on a six-year cycle. And for the North teams that crave time in front of L.A. recruits, all the North Division teams would play in Los Angeles versus USC or UCLA every other year. The Big Ten realigned their conferences when they saw it didn't make sense. Why Champagne Larry so hung up on Colorado and Utah playing in the South? Look at a map, for goodness sakes. Why is this so difficult? What am I missing? John and Brea. I don't know what the nature of the agreement was, but maybe it was like, I don't know, part of the actual like written agreement to get them into the conference Could i have be. no idea we've we've talked about this before yeah i mean geographically it makes sense right i mean isn't isn't colorado and utah i think on a map colorado and utah are further north than oh yeah it, yeah. it makes more sense for them to be in the north yes, yes. yeah oh yeah 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 um, yeah and for the four california schools to <clears throat> be in the same division makes you know they're in the same state that would make some sense i know it's northern california southern california but uh i don't know would you do you think there would be a lot of outrage though for um well i guess it really wouldn't change the rotation of the other north teams playing in la because right now 
because they're in the state, they have to play Cal and Stanford every year. Mm-hmm. So you kind of lose that. Like, I think Oregon, well, I don't know. So that means like an Oregon State or Oregon or Washington would come to L.A. a little bit more if they did that. Is that true? It depends on what the nature of it would have to be with Colorado and Utah. Because um, maybe they could do it where they flip them out, but then they still have to, they're obligated to play Colorado and Utah every year. Oh, they could do that. And exchange them for the Stanford Cal issue right now. I think it makes less less logical sense to do that, but they could yeah. do that, and then it maintains the same agreement with Washingtons and Oregon's. Yeah, I think so. I think in that case, it would be that if you're if you're like wanting to come to LA more, it's going to be you're not coming every year anymore if you're Colorado and Utah. And so if that's um, you know you'd play one of those teams in LA every year, you wouldn't be doing that. You would now go to like every other year, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, yeah, which yeah, yeah, might not fly with them. I mean, I, it, obviously, it's a huge recruiting area. Um, but, you know, you get to California, like Northern California, you got some recruits. I mean, but the, not... the Oregons and Washingtons manage it. Like, they're doing the same thing. Yeah. I mean, they managed to recruit California pretty damn well. So you're pro-realign the division. Oh, I'd be totally pro it. Yeah. yeah. I think it makes the most logical sense. Um, I think I was, too. I, I don't have an issue, but, like, yeah, that would make sense to me. But we definitely remember getting some pushback. Oh, yeah. There were some people. I think it was, like, a Washington fan or something came in and was giving us a lot of reasons why that wouldn't work. And not that I remember what they are. I don't know. This, this... So let us know. But it was. I think it was mostly from the North that would have – uh, an issue, but I don't think it would impact like the number of times the Oregon schools and the Washington schools would get to LA. I think it would still be the same or it's just the Utah's and the, the Colorado's would have less trips to LA. Right. But, you ready for it today? Oh yeah. Circle games. So I don't know if that's a, is that a Joni Mitchell reference? Anyway. <laughs> Uh, I was proud of you boys last week for humoring Nicholas's question about schedule factors that produce upsets. Of course, if there were a statistically significant correlation between known inputs and game outcomes, they would already be priced into the Vegas line. There would not be a bunch of skyscrapers in the desert if, quote, one weird trick existed to regularly defeat sportsbooks. That the absurdity of this question is obvious upon a mere moment's reflection made it perfect for this podcast. Okay. Love it. Love the backhanded. It's so good. Every time. The matter has, unsurprisingly, because there's serious money involved, produced quite a bit of scholarship, and naturally, the scheduling grievances that fans can't counterwall about are minor at best, and Vegas already takes them into account. The factors that have been shown to consistently appear in upsets are all surprises that come after the line has been locked in. In descending order, they are 1. Underdog turnover luck 2. Special teams mistakes 3. Undisclosed and in-game injuries 4. Inclement weather, particularly high winds I recently did a bit of film study on USC and North Texas to get a picture of Graham Harrell, and I was surprised at how similar their 2018 offenses were. Harrell's air raid seems to be pretty different from Mike Leach's. Sure, they pass a lot, but they run the ball twice as much as Wazoo. They use their tailback and pass pro instead of running him out to the sideline for checkdowns, and they make pretty extensive use of a tight end, sometimes two, sometimes even a fullback. All of that is just like USC in 2018. One, do you agree with that characterization, and what differences from last year's offense, other than just being more organized and effective than T. Martin, are you expecting out of Harrell? Two, I wasn't, or do you want to answer that one first? Uh, yeah, we can do that. Um, I don't, really, didn't really see a lot of fullback stuff. It's just, for me, this is more of a, it's less like play driven. It seemed like USC was trying to inundate you with all these different uh, plays. It, it wasn't just different formations, but they were, 
there was a lot of things and there was a lot of reading. They expected your quarterback to um, really diagnose what's going on uh, on the defensive side of the football. And Graham Harrell's is just much simpler. I think you'll see some similar formations and stuff. I do think you'll, they'll throw balls out of the backfield. Um, they're going to use some tight ends because they got some tight ends, but they will be more of a H back kind of guys. Um, I mean, you're not, I don't think you're seeing tight ends with their hand on the ground. There's a guy playing a tight end position, but he's basically a receiver. He's not, you know, hand on the ground next to the tackle and your power running behind him. You're not doing anything like that. Um, but it's really, he tries to simplify this thing to uh, just a whole nother level where you're having the quarterback. You don't really care, uh, you know, okay, what's the mic do or what's, you know, what it's like, no, you're, you're trying to find out where there's going to be space, trying to be on the same page as a receiver and see where you think the, there's going to be an opening. And they want the receivers to run the grass and the quarterback throw the ball to them. So it's like, it's, he's really tried to make it that sort of simple. So the complexity has come way down. Um, I just think it's going to be something where players aren't thinking as much. They're, they're acting and they're, they're working on things. So I, I think it's going to look a, a lot different, if that makes sense. Yeah. All right. And then number two. I wasn't wild about any of USC's tight ends last year, and Pro Football Focus agreed, giving Tyler Petit, Eric Cromenhook, and Josh Fallow the worst grades of anyone on the team. Petit was the primary guy blocking on nearly every play, and he's graduated a whole lot of UNT's North Texas's offense, went through the Mackey list tight end Kelvin Smith last year. Do you think it's possible Harrell steps into a worse situation at this regard at USC? Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. They have two freshmen coming in. Um, I think that'll be pretty good. I like Josh Follows upside. He's the most athletic of those guys. Uh, I've talked to some NFL people that you know, he hasn't done much at USC, but they look at him as like someone that would have that potential just because of that. He's had some drop issues. Uh, yeah, Tyler Petit, I think, was limited athletically. He was more of a blocking guy. It's going to be a different sort of look. Uh, they really, Daniel Matarbebe, when USC made that run in 2016, he was great. They, he's had some injury things that just never practices. We don't know. It's like hard to tell what's going on with him. Um, but yeah, I, I think they will adjust the, if they have a whole bunch of wide receivers and not a lot of good tight ends, they wouldn't play a lot of tight ends. But I think you're going to see like a Josh follow out there, uh, or Jude Wolf or some of the, you know, like some of the freshmen coming in, you might see those a little bit. Um, Kroman Hoke, you know, will be, you know, he's not the most dynamic athlete either, but I think guys will have an impact will be guys like follow who, uh, you expect them to be able to get the ball in space and, and, and do, you know, they're, they're kind of, they would create these mismatches that you want to see in, in this offense. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, who knows what it's going to look like this year, but obviously there's a, there, there would be a T Martin effect on a lot of these things. So actually a T Martin combined with a Clay Helton effect yeah. on a lot of these things where, guys might suddenly look suddenly better right. in, in this offense, even if they're unchanged more or less, just because they're put in better positions to succeed. Yeah. I mean, it's like you have a great, you know, your whatever your job is and you're doing an okay job because your manager's not really good. You get a great manager, put you in a better position, whatever you do. And you, Oh, you look like a better worker. You know, like I think right. you're going to see that effect. Right. Like, well, you see me in this podcast, right. And it's like right now, <laughs> like obviously not exploring a lot, but if I got, Anyway, um, <laughs> all right. So number three, uh, hiring Kerry Colbert. Colbert, uh, but yeah. <laughs> don't don't correct me. Sorry. A record holding Trojan wide receiver who'd never coached tight ends before. Then following that up with the retread John Baxter coming back from a stint at 
Wasn't he already on staff? He's been on staff, yeah. Uh, anyway, but he wasn't Michigan. Coming back from a stint at Michigan to coach special teams and I guess tight ends on the side is possibly the most, quote, USC coaching thing ever. What do you think about the moves here? No, I don't like them. Um, so Colbert was – so they made some good changes from last year. Last year, it just didn't like the way the staff was assembled. I don't think they went far enough, but it's a lot of – I think they're better changes that were made. Kerry uh, Colbert is uh, – you know, that was his first year as a full-time assistant last year, and you had him coach tight ends, which he never played, and, and to my understanding, never coached. So what were you really doing there? there? Maybe that's part of the reason that Pro Football Focus had USC's tight ends as the worst – uh, players ranked on their team and you know Baxter's done it before but to me I'd rather you see how they'd have a, uh, a, a you know either probably not a tight ends coach I thought if you want to keep Colbert on staff make him a wide receiver coach oh, that's fine but he's really inexperienced and this is an offense that you're going to use a lot of wide receivers typically in this kind of offense you have an inside receivers coach and an outside receivers coach so USC went with one receivers coach and it's an inexperienced receivers coach instead of two receivers coaches, which you typically would do. So I, this is, to me, something that was a potential issue. Um, instead of having John Baxter coach tight ends, you would have lumped them in with the inside receivers and uh, have an you know, experienced inside receivers coach. So I thought they should have done that. They did not. But, you know, that's, yeah, so Hitler Day, I, I think that's a, uh, a miss uh, from Clay Helton. But I think in general, the moves made from last year are significant improvements, but they could have, I think they've kind of gone another step or two to, to help this team. And having two receivers coaches, I think, would have been the smart thing. If that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, this is uh, from John and Tempe. Oh, we got a chart here. Uh-oh. Uh, hey, guys. <laughs> I was interested in a comment I heard on the last show about Chris Peterson being such a great developer. I was curious to see uh, whether there was any validity to that statement. And rather than ask you, your intern, let's be honest, to do the research, I threw something together myself. John, this is the kind of self-motivating factors we need in our listeners. I think he's auditioning to be the new intern. Oh, maybe, John. We could we could probably use you. Uh, granted, it is not the most scientific effort, and it only considers draft picks, not undrafted free agent signings. Below, you have the following. Average, so number one, average Pac-12 recruiting rankings from 2015 to 2019, according to 24-7 Sports, and two, the average number of draft picks per year per team. So they're going to go recruiting rankings and then draft picks. So a few things he said he found, found interesting. One, uh, Washington is the fifth best recruiting program, but put the most players, 4.8 per year, in the NFL over that period. Okay, so that would... Uh, lend credence to our thought that Chris Peterson was a good developer of talent. Uh, would you agree? Yeah. Uh, one note I would say, and I, I could probably wait to the end, but um, also you, uh, there's a correlation there between quality of team and the amount of guys you put in the NFL, and it's a chicken or egg thing, and I think there is some confirmation bias at play with the NFL draft in particular because I don't think I, – I don't think – you can't say evaluations are perfect – there would be no bust rate if evaluations were perfect and some teams are making bad decisions a lot of times. And yeah. so they might make a decision based on rep. Probably a more accurate thing to do would be to wait 15 years and, and look at like who ended up all pro who ended up, you know, the, the number of guys who from those who ended up all pro would probably give you a better indication. Or but just even, guys that made a roster, like, like he said, undrafted fridge or whatever. Yeah, like they um, were contributors in the NFL, like, and, but that happens too. 
at a place like USC, you might get extra guys drafted that don't make teams just because it's USC or whatever, or Washington. Like you might see a little bit more of that bias where someone at Oregon state maybe doesn't get drafted. Then they sign like with Philip Lindsay didn't get drafted right from yeah. Colorado, but was playing in the NFL. Like he did, he did a good job. If he was at UCLA or Washington, he might've been drafted, you know? Yeah. And um, you know, it's, and I, I do think there is validity to it, obviously. And I, it's all the stuff we said last week. I just don't know. I always like, and maybe it's, I'm just a little, I get a little too obsessed with the noise and these statistical things where it's like, well, no, we're not controlling for all factors because we're not controlling for the fact that it's imperfect evaluation at all levels. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's probably a pretty strong correlation simply from their ability to develop and evaluate out of high school with why they're, you know, generating more NFL players. And in yeah. addition to the fact that the teams are good because they have a good coach, like it's all, it's all interrelated and, and connected. It, and it doesn't even have to just be NFL. Like you could take a, you know, if you get a, uh, a six foot five, 255 pound tight end that you turn into an offensive tackle and he ends mm-hmm. up being a two year starter, not good enough to make the NFL, but like was a very productive player for you. Like I would count that as player development. Also not, you know, doesn't have to be an NFL player to say that the guy developed. Right. So there's the question. Um, Two, he said, Oregon is the second best recruiting program, but only puts 2.6 players per year in the NFL, which is sixth best. Utah has done a lot better than Colorado since joining the conference, despite having the seventh best recruiting program. They put the fifth most players in the NFL. Uh, there's a pretty significant drop off after Utah, 3.8 draftees per year to Oregon, 2.6 draftees per year in the rest of the conference. So it's sort of, okay. And then Oregon state, despite being the worst recruiters, they put more players in the NFL than Washington state, Colorado and Arizona. So interesting. So he, as far as the, the, the teams that put the most, uh, draft picks over that time period, it was Washington, USC, and Stanford are tied at second. UCLA, Utah, Oregon, Arizona State, Cal, Oregon State, Washington State, Colorado, and Arizona came in uh, last place. So, um, but yeah, I think he made he, he made the right notes there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks thanks for putting that together. That's uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, I think the probably the best way to determine it is actually not bringing in the NFL draft stuff and instead just looking at how many wins do you get for the talent you're recruiting? Um, and even that, I mean, depends on scheduling factors, but I think college performance that shows you what the coach is actually doing. If they're yeah. recruiting at the fifth best level, but they're winning at the best level, then yeah, Chris Peterson's doing a great job of developing talent. Yeah. I mean, I think wins are definitely a good way to show that. Yeah. I think <laughs> wins are good. Um, all right, this is uh, Cameron, our Arizona fan from last week, uh, who's giving us a shorter version. Um, Arizona basketball case from a UA alum. Okay, version 2.0. This is only three paragraphs long versus five. Okay, no, your first one was not five paragraphs, Cameron. And each paragraph had like Your seven first one was one, two, three, four, <laughs> five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Eleven <laughs> paragraphs. Anyway, all right, uh, but this one is three, so I will read it. Uh, he says, I actually agree with David Woods. See, uh, college basketball is all about skirting about, uh, around the rules, cheating, etc. I have no doubt Sean Miller is out there entertaining some edge to get the best players. Yeah, some edge. Uh, if I had to do my 500-word email over again, I would just say that there are very few sports media outlets, talking heads, providing factual information regarding this basketball case. For some reason, Arizona is getting the brunt of this. I have no idea why. Uh, football question. Okay, so 
for no idea why, I don't really know either. Um, I think it's probably just the most prominent one that's still being investigated right now. Um, I think some media personalities staked out an opinion about Sean Miller off of the initial announcement. I'm thinking of like Jay Billis, Dick Vitale, um, the guy who wrote the initial story. I forget what, what's his stupid name. I'm sure Mark Schlereth was. Yeah, that yeah. And I think all of these um, uh, Schlabach. So, oh, Schlereth. So, yeah, no, yeah. Schlereth is the uh, yeah, football guy. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, uh, a lot of them staked out an opinion, so they have like maybe a, a particular interest in um, having it be proven correct. Um, so I think that's partly what's playing out because media people, especially at the top levels, have big egos. Yes. Um, and they want to be right whenever they're saying anything. And so they will have uh, an interest in um, spinning everything to that end. Um, so, yeah, I think that's probably what you're seeing at play. Um, anyway, football question. How crazy would it be for the Pac-12 and various other West Coast football programs to install a soccer league type of promotion relegation format? Top 14, top 14 teams play in the Pac-12 and bottom play against each other. I, um, i.e. San Diego State, Boise State, and Fresno State are in the Premier League this year based on their last two- to four-year results. This could come just as the media agreement is dissolving. That would be interesting if you um, essentially establish a relationship between the Pac-12 and, like, say, the Mountain West, um, and it was more or less it gives the Mountain West an opportunity to come in. Pac-12 teams agree to play, like, one or two of them each a year. Like... As far as like figuring out scheduling issues that might benefit the league, but also give, you know, some, I don't know how that would affect like media rights and all that kind of stuff, but yeah. that combination might, I don't know, something to explore. Why not? Yeah. We're neither of us are big soccer fans, but I'm a huge, I rele- love promotion and relegation. It's so good. Cool. And I think that the audible just, you know, with our friends, Bruce and Stu, I think they just had some talk about this, like who you would relegate from each conference. Yeah. So like, or sorry, Oregon state. I think they picked you. Um, but that's yeah. not a really no. But you have two a year, one from each division. That if you're just at the bottom of it for whatever a year or two in a row, you get relegated. Toast. Yeah. So I UCLA, think... don't go four and eight this year. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that that would be weird though. When you get like a major brand that would get relegated, like I'm sure that ha- I don't know enough about like the Premier League stuff. But do, do teams like like would a Manchester United ever get relegated? Or probably not. You know. I mean, I think they could. I think it's in the rules that they could. Yeah. But they're just, they spend a lot of money. They probably don't or wouldn't get, I, we'll have to ask like a real soccer person, but I think that's very cool. I mean, I, to me, and I think a buddy of mine who's a big soccer guy sent me this long email once, uh, like a year or so ago. If you were going to do these super conferences, like you do, you know, recreate everything. So like uh, four 16 team leagues, you could have like whatever the West Coast League is, you know, the Pac-16 or something, and then there's like an eight-team, like, uh, like Mountain West or something underneath it. You know, the same thing in like the right. the SEC, ACC area. Then there's like a, a an eight-team. So you would have like the 16 teams, but the potential to move up. Uh, you know, there's an eight-team league underneath that you could like. Oh, you 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 win a bunch of games there, and you move up from yeah. the Mountain West to the the Pac-16, and I, that something like if you could restructure all of it, I think relegation would be an awesome part in that it would be so cool like if you got it um get it down to the four super conferences have an, a real uh, administrative body that's not the ncaa yes have four super conferences and then whatever like four smaller conferences underneath and you just do that that would be so much fun 
I, I, yeah, that would be great. Um, Rick Neuheisel would have had UCLA relegated so hard. <laughs> well, maybe they, if they got the gloves, then they would have yeah, if, they, if they'd had the gloves, obviously that wouldn't. Have nice. Yeah. Uh, thanks for that one. Couple of questions from Tarian in Vegas. I haven't heard from Tarian in a while. So uh, what's up, Tarian? Um, hey, fellas, love the podcast, especially your humor cracks me up. Well, thanks. A uh, couple of questions. I'd like to hear your, especially David's take on the Game of Thrones finale. Okay. Um, All right. Let's. Should we go with that first? Yeah, do that. Do that one first. I did not. I've not watched, so I have no take in this. I don't. All know right, um, Terry. So when I last shared my thoughts with everyone, I think I was still in the middle of it. Um, I, I, now that I've like watched the whole thing, here's my definitive take. First, the actual finale itself was really bad um I, I very slow very boring um and awkwardly paced um but whatever i mean for now like the actual finales of a lot of shows just it's tough it's a tough thing to do um i thought they they've made some weird assumptions about what people were actually watching the show for um and seeing everyone or more or less everyone get a happy ending was not i don't think um uh, nobody gave a crap about that Except for Daenerys, obviously. Um, as an issue, like a broader thing, I would say the last two seasons and why I've grown a little bit more dissatisfied with the show is I think the showrunners lost interest. Um, and I think the decision to go from 20 episodes to 13 for the final two seasons uh, just entailed a ton of pacing issues that made everything just seem... It made the world seem smaller uh, because they had to get people from point A to point B a lot faster. Um, so it made everything just seem smaller, less epic. The whole so thing. they were going to do more episodes and they cut back on it. They they made the decision to go to thirteen instead of twenty for the final two seasons. So it was seven episodes, season six, or seven episodes, season seven, and six episodes, season eight. Wow. Um, and I think it's partly they lost interest in it because they got like a Star Wars trilogy coming and they wanted to get to start working on that, I would guess. Um, they didn't ever seem enamored with the fantasy elements of this big, stupid fantasy show. Um, and so I think once it got into like the dynamics of, you know, fighting this army of ice zombies or whatever, they were just like, nah, we're not into that. So let's off them pretty quick here. Um, but I think all that, honestly, like if you look at the, the plot points just from beat to beat to beat, like what actually happened, I think it all makes sense. Like it all made fine sense and it would have made logical sense in the course of the show. The problem was just the amount of episodes they devoted to get from point A to point B to point C was the issue. Oh. Um, I think they needed to let things breathe a little bit more. They had, you know. Danny's heel turn took the it was over the course of basically two episodes and they did set some groundwork for her going crazy but they didn't do enough to show okay these initial things getting into something worse getting into something worse and so on and so forth um and I just thought they could have done a lot more with 20 episodes versus 13 and that was probably the biggest issue when I'm looking at the whole thing in total um and, you know, that could have taken a lot of forms. I think if, uh, you know, if the struggle with the the ice zombie army or whatever um, had taken longer and had been more harrowing and had been more exhausting and, you know, more uh, people die and the whole thing for, you know, and it takes five or six episodes, then suddenly um, it might make more sense that she suddenly goes mad when, you know, Cersei betrays him, doesn't show her army up there or whatever. Um, and she decides to take vengeance. I mean, that all would have made more sense, but whatever. Um, it's over. 
Um, I don't think um, here's I, I don't know if I shared this last time, but I think the way I'm thinking about um, Game of Thrones, uh, it's not like Lost. Lost, um, the final episode of that was just um, was uh, one of the worst things ever put on television. Um, <laughs> really, was like, that bad? It was so bad. Um, and it was like a complete betrayal of the entire show. This wasn't that. Um, the best way I would describe this is sort of like the last two seasons were more or less kind of like the Star Wars prequels, which like the beats of it and the plot points, like, oh, wow, this is a really great story. But just the execution, the writing, the just the way it fitted together was not right. But if you took these exact same plot points and you gave it to somebody else to redo them like next year, they could have done it with 20 episodes versus 13 and made it something really cool. They just, oh. I think they just tried to rush the thing. Gotcha. All right. Ice zombies were, that was a thing. Like there was yeah, more like- or less. I mean, I, I, I don't know the best way to describe them. Um, but basically there was this army of, um, there's this dude called the night King. He's like, I don't know, like 15,000 years old or something. And he can raise things from the dead who are now his army. And so they're, oh. they're zombies, but they're like, I don't know, fast moving, like, you like know, fighting zombies and stuff. Yeah, basically. Oh. Um, so, yeah. Nice. Uh, you know, I, I liked fantasy stuff growing up, like playing Dungeons and Dragons or whatever, but I don't know. I just never, I mean, yeah. I don't, never really got into this one, but the, to hear like millennials talking about like different kinds of swords or whatever, like, you know, on t- social media, it's kind of funny. Like they're discussing like, Mm-hmm. nerdy stuff like that yeah well it's also the the it, that's the interesting part for me just like from a this is one of the biggest shows in modern times like it's like the amount of people who watch that finale it's wild and it's just it's nerdy as hell like yeah. the the fundamentals of it and it's like oh wow this is really the mainstreaming of nerddom because like yeah everybody's into this and Honestly, I think the thing was the showrunners were not as into it. Like they were not as into like really? the nerdy mythology of the whole thing. They were like, I, I think they wanted to keep that stuff as ar- at arm's length. And if you look at like the different things, they were not into like the mythology of the dragons or the mythology of the ice zombies or any of that crap. They were. Well, you start, you got, you do that a lot, and then you're going to run into like fantasy rules like there's things that you can't or well, can't do and then they're like wait what and like they like maybe it was something like that my thing with all like fiction is like you have to whatever rules you set right whatever rules you set for your universe like if it's sci-fi or fantasy or any, even like just a simple you know fictional story whatever rules you set you have to abide by them like and they can be rules that make no sense in like a modern world. But it's your but, rule, yeah, yeah. But whatever those rules are, you have to abide by them. And they started like breaking the physics of the world in the last like two seasons for expedience. Like uh, suddenly their ships can get from one side of this continent to the other in in no time when they spent like seasons showing how big everything is. Like there's an entire like two episode part of this story where it's just a group of people trying to get from one city to another. And that then happens over the course of like ten minutes of showtime at different episodes. Oh, okay. I get and it's just like, okay, you're just kind of breaking the the whole geography and physics of this entire thing. And it's just you can't get that stuff wrong with an epic story. That's the biggest issue. Is if it's if it's gonna be one of these like epic fantasy things, that stuff's gotta be consistent. Gotcha. The uh I think the Walking Dead sort of made nerddom cool too there's a lot of nerdy stuff mm-hmm. in that i st- i liked it for a while then i kind of just stopped watching it was just not did you ever, you never got into that one uh, so right? i watched um 
I watched like the first season, and okay. then I watched like bits and pieces of the next like two. I would say, and my thing was it was just like the 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 writing got so once they like kind of got into like it was just always they were just fighting some new human group, um, yeah. And it was just like this is I don't even know what what we're doing here. Yeah, it didn't were- it didn't seem like it had anything to say. Like it didn't seem like there was anything they were really trying to get across because. What I, my whole thing on like all the fantasy and sci fi and all that kind of stuff is you can say things, you can comment on our actual world, and you have a little bit more freedom to do it because you get to do it with like perfect constructions. Like you can construct something that gives you kind of the ability to do a perfect metaphor. Um, And when you like don't use it for that, and instead you're using it just, I don't know, it, it just seemed like. I don't know. Yeah. It seemed kind of dopey for me after a while. It was weird. There's like one where you talk about the different human groups. There was one group that I they were building up to called Terminus. There were like this group of. That's uh, where I left off when they found the railroad tracks. It was like a season finale one year. Yeah. And then so they, they end up going to Terminus. It ends up being like, a, you know, they're cannibals basically. Right. And that that's sort of like this was like a build up to this cool um, enemy. And it. It ended pretty quickly. Like it was just like kind of over. Then the the Negan stuff was like long, long, long build up and just kept going on. And I like I just like wanted him dead, you know. And then the end of the last season I saw they like captured Negan and I was like, Okay, I'm out. Like I'm just, yeah. I don't really care. Like just kill the guy. Like I don't give a shit yeah. like, at this point. So I, I haven't watched it. Some people have said, Oh, you should watch. But it was pretty big. I think it was the biggest like yeah. basic cable show for a while. I think it kind of dropped off. But then the uh <laughs> The after show guy, Chris Hardwick, had a bunch of weird accusations against him too. Like at the same time, when I stopped yeah, yeah. watching, I just felt weird. Like kind of like I don't know if I, I should watch part that. of this. Yeah, yeah. Like I think I'm out for this one. Yeah, um, he sounds like a real uh, piece of work. Um, no, and that's the thing is also I think it helps with those sorts of things to have a finite end date or like a finite story in mind. And I don't think they did. Like what it feels like is that that sure just feels like it's built to continue to keep making money. Yeah, and it just feels like this is endless, endless sameness, and I'm just not into it. Yeah, they did like a a spinoff show, like yeah. Fear of the Walking Dead, which yeah, yeah. I didn't think was that well, well that written or well was, acted. Well, that one was like I watched um, the first couple episodes, or maybe the first full season. I can't remember. Um, and they just like skipped a part, skipped like past the part that I thought was like an interesting, different thing that the Walking Dead didn't do, which is like when it is all starting to break down, they like went and like jumped immediately beyond like, and I think it was probably a budget issue, but I want to see the whole thing breaking down, like over the course of an entire season, yeah. not just like an episode. And then it's it was, done. yeah, that was kind of quick. They could have, you know, like what is like, Oh, you're like the TV broadcast start to go off or whatever. Yeah. Like they, they were, they were doing some of that, but it wasn't, yeah, you got a they little did bit. Basically an episode and then they jumped ahead and they were in like a compound basically. In yeah. That, like one community or whatever. But, Interesting. Anyway, deep cuts for you, everyone right. out there. And then, okay, so Terry had said, secondly, David, how are you covering UCLA from the other side of the country? Keep up the good work, Terry and in Vegas. Very carefully. Um, well, I don't, so I uh, I try to come out for practices at least once a year. Um, I came out for spring um, for uh, about a week. So I get, you know, see the team in person a little bit. Um, and then I, you know, watch all the games. Um you know, keep in touch with some folks. So, you know, it's obviously not the same as it was when I was like covering the team daily. Um, you just don't, you're not in it as much. And it's more of a part-time thing for me now than a full-time thing. But, 
Yeah, I mean, I'm still in touch with some people, and I still do all the like game recaps and all that kind of stuff. Which, frankly, a lot of that stuff's easier via TV than it is like if you're constantly going to games because I can watch it in real time and then more or less have a pretty good idea of everything that happened. When you're watching a game in person, you just you don't miss stuff, but it's just not as easy. You don't have like stats pulled up in front of you as things are happening and they get kind of, you know, burned in your brain and all that kind of stuff. So, um, some of that stuff's just easier on TV. Um, but yeah, it's a little bit different. Um, it's not, you know, my full-time gig anymore. So that does make it a little bit different, but I'm still like, you know, I'm still like on the message boards constantly because, you know, it's more or less an obsession. (laughs) Nice. All right. I think we got one more. All right. Chip Kelly. This is from Frank in Sacramento. Uh, Ryan and Dave, don't give up on Chip Kelly just yet. Sure, he did not meet expectations going three and six in the Pac-12 conference his first year back and has not shown any recruiting prowess. Prowess. But I can think of another highly regarded college coach who went four and five in his first year in the Pac-12, even though he had three first round NFL draft picks selected off of his unperforming, underperforming team. The following April, his recruiting class was fourth from the bottom in the Pac-12 after the first dis- after that first dismal season as well. That coach was Washington's Chris Peterson in 2014. Um, yeah, I mean, I I don't think I've given up on Chip Kelly. I, I, David probably is more a little more pessimistic than I am, but I, no, I've been an advocate of you went out and got the biggest fish out there, and you got to let them swim and do what he's got to do. So I, you know, I think he's changed the style of recruiting. I think it's a team that did look like they were playing some better football later in the year. I think there's real roster issues that Dave has pointed out with the, you know, like sanction, like kind of USC sanction level scholarship numbers that, that UCLA is facing, which could be, you know, some potential issues there, but yeah, I I definitely haven't given up on uh, chip Kelly. It's not going as uh, you know, the, it's not as far along as I thought they would be after the first year, but there's, you know, I think there's still a lot of potential there that he could have a, a, a really good career at UCLA. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, and I don't want to ever sound like I'm saying the doors completely closed on Chip Kelly's time at UCLA. It's just, that's not true. Um, so I don't want to, I, I don't want to even, you know, you to think that I'm saying that. Um, but I also, the reality of it is that they went three and nine. Um, it wasn't a good three and nine. They got blown out a bunch. Um, I mean, if you look at what Washington did in 2014, they went eight and six. Um, and uh, of those conference losses, uh, they lost to Stanford by seven. And that was a ranked Stanford team in 2014. Uh, they lost uh, by a point to Arizona, and that was a ranked Arizona team at that time. Um, and they lost by eight to Oklahoma State in a bowl game. Um, but that's, you know, three one-score losses um, in that first year. Uh, UCLA last year uh, was getting pretty regularly blown out. Um, let me pull up their record. But so last year, UCLA um, got, you know, lost by nine to Cincinnati. That was relatively close. Lost by four touchdowns to Oklahoma. Lost by three touchdowns to Fresno State. Lost by three touchdowns to Colorado. Lost by seven to Washington. Lost by 31 points to Utah. Lost by three touchdowns to Oregon. Lost by three to Arizona State. Lost by seven to Stanford. Um, you know they got they got blown a lot. Uh, Washington, for what it is, uh, did um, better than that. Um, from an advanced stats perspective, they were quite a bit better than that too. So um, 
it's a different deal. Um, I, I do think that they are trying to follow a similar model. I think they are trying to recruit um, guys in a similar way that Chris Peterson started out at Washington in particular. Um, I don't think that was even as successful. Um, you know, rankings aside, I don't think they... Uh, you got to look at, like, relative uh, recruiting strengths of the two programs. Um, and so I just... There's a lot of reasons to be concerned still. Um, I don't, there's no reason to think that it's a completely done deal that he's going to fail at UCLA, but there's definitely more, way, way more to be concerned about now than there was a year and a half ago. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously there's still a ton of hope for the future. The offense started to look, you know, pretty good by the end of last year, um, you know, that USC game in particular, but even Arizona State. Even Stanford, those were those were pretty good performances. Um, so it's uh, you know it's an interesting time. I think this year is obviously pivotal. If uh, if they can pull out seven and five this year, um, then yeah, they might be off to the races. But they've uh, they've they've uh, created a bigger task for themselves. Yeah, I agree with that. And I agree. You know, Chris Peterson's uh, first year, I think, definitely looked different to me than than Chip Kelly. So yeah. Um, I don't think there's going to be as quick of a, a turnaround there, but I think you got to make some pretty good strides this year, build the roster up again, you know, recruit some, and uh, move forward. Recruiting some again, I want to <laughs> I want to stress this: recruiting some is very important. You need to recruit at least some, <laughs> not none. <laughs> Definitely not none. All right. Well, I guess that's going to wrap it up. Um, yeah. Hope you guys enjoyed it. You know, Dave and I aren't like in our tippy top shape, but we're doing okay. We, we made we, it. We we made it. Um, we had a long digression about The Walking Dead and Game of Thrones. Yeah, but that was one of those things. No Disney princesses. No, no. I Except mean, in I, the review. I, I did talk about ice zombies for a really long time. That's going to turn off. Um, I think our man Bernie. Oh, Bernie doesn't like that kind of stuff. I mean, we were asked the question. Like, we don't shy away. We don't like pre-look at the questions. We just read them, and then whatever you say, we talk about. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's very stupid. It's a really dumb way to run a podcast, but it's what we did from the beginning, and so now we're here, and we still do it. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, that's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Podcast of Champions. Hope you really enjoyed the show. Remember, uh, send us... Any ideas about picks and stuff, we'll try to incorporate that into the show next week. Should be fun. Um, just trying to go through and pick all of the uh, all of the games like David does every year. This will force me to do it as well. So thanks again, and we will talk to you next time.